Greetings and welcome to Fresh Text. Fresh Text is a weekly podcast when a pair of pastor scholars study a scripture passage drawn from the Revised Common Lectionary. We hope that it will be enjoyable and edifying for all, as well as equipping for pastors or teachers who are working on sermons or lessons in the upcoming weeks. I'm your host, John Drury. I teach systematic theology and spiritual formation for Wesley Seminary and Indiana Wesleyan University. My guest this week is Sophia Fasua. Sophia is a regular here on the show. She's a affiliate faculty member with Wesley Seminary, now retired, and is a real master of uh, the fields of spiritual formation, worship, preaching, leadership. She has so many wonderful skills, and uh, but is a, a, a great reader of scripture and a preacher and a theologian. So I love having her on the show uh, when we get a chance to do so. And our text this week is 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 2 through 10. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 2 through 10, continuing our uh, series through 2 Corinthians that's been going on here for a few weeks and is now coming to a close soon. Make sure to subscribe if you're not already so you never miss an episode. And as you're listening, if you're enjoying the show, hit the share button on your podcast player app of choice to pass this show so that others can enjoy it as well. And lastly, if you'd like to support the show financially and receive some additional content, simply go to patreon.com slash fresh text to become one of our patron saints. Thanks for listening and enjoy this conversation with Sophia. Yeah, so we're looking at, let's see, first, uh, second Corinthians chapter 12. Is it two through 10? Two through check. 10. Is that what you had? That's what I had. I yeah. have I have two through 10 and I've got my NIV, which I don't use all the time. Well, we can start there. Let's start there. All um, right. Would you be willing to read the passage? I would. Go for it. All right. Hear Paul's words in his second letter to the Corinthians chapter 12. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven, whether it was in the body or out of the body, I do not know, God knows. And I know that this man, whether in the body or apart from the body, I do not know, but God knows, was caught up to paradise. He heard inexpressible things things that man is not permitted to tell. I will boast about a man like that, but I will not boast about myself, except about my weaknesses. Even if I should choose to boast, I would not be a fool because I would be speaking the truth, but I refrain. So no one will think more of me than is warranted by what I do or say. To keep me from becoming conceited, Because of these surpassingly great revelations, there was given me a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. 
For when I am weak, then I am strong. And there ends the reading. Thanks be to God for that. Let us pray. Father, we give you thanks for your Apostle Paul and the visions you gave to him and the word you spoke to him, and that by the guidance of your spirit, he wrote them down and spoke of this experience, shared it with his churches. And so the churches of all ages can benefit from his witness. And so we give you thanks, though he is doing his best to avoid uh, boasting, uh, we're grateful that he didn't hold it completely back and we get to catch a little glimpse of what you did in him. And so, Lord, now we ask that in this hour that your same spirit that was at work in the Apostle Paul would be at work in us, in Sophia and myself and all our listeners, separated as we are by space and time, but guided by your same spirit uh, to open our eyes to what you wish us to see. And I mean that both in the sense of the literal eyes to see the text, Mm -hmm. to notice things in it, the literal eyes of seeing each other, at least Sophia and I, as we talk and all our listeners to have their eyes opened to the literal text in front of them and to the people around them, but also that our, our spiritual senses would be open too, that our eyes would see what it is you wish us to see, even if we can't bring it to speech. And surely we would never boast about it. Lord, I I would not be so bold as to ask you to let us see what Paul saw. But at the same time, I would be so bold as to say, Lord, make us to see what you wish us to see. And then give us the humility to bear the the thorn in the flesh that often accompanies great vision. So with fear and trembling, and yet with boldness, we humbly ask uh, that you would open our eyes, open the eyes of our body, the eyes of our mind to interpret, and the eyes of our heart to receive your grace. And Lord, if at the end of this time we still feel like we're in a fog, at least, Lord, open our ears that we may hear your word of grace. My grace is sufficient for you. (laughs) We pray all this in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Guess I went a little longer there with the prayer, but, you know, it's a little bit more of a mystical passage, so. (laughs) It's a mystical (laughs) passage. It invites a different posture. You were jazzed to do this text. I, I thought it might be fun to start there. So behind the scenes for our listeners, I mean, I, we, we often work way ahead. And um, sometimes I play matchmaker with text and guest. And sometimes I'm just planning ahead and I send out a list, you know, hey, you can pick any of these. Mm-hmm. And I was booking Sophia and I already had the whole Easter season booked up for First John. And so the 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 first six, seven weeks of summer are all from second Corinthians. And I just gave her the whole list and she picked this one. Uh, So 
And you seemed excited in your text. And when we started, when we started up today, you seemed excited. Uh, is it okay for me to ask, like, uh, what, what's a little behind that excitement? Because it might help us experience the text with you. Well, this is a passage that pastors in some of the traditions I've come from have often referred to when they talk about things that we cannot control that are in our lives that hinder us. So Mm. why do I have a limp? Why do I have, you know, uh, so, so people in congregations often retreat to this passage when they're trying to explain why they're going through such difficulties. Mm. And so, um, the old mothers of the church, you know, and I come from a church where church mothers are a very, very important part of the um, uh, discernment process for the entire congregation or the guidance, is, as, as uh, Foster would call it, part of the guidance mechanism of a church. They will often tell people, that's your test. Everybody has a test and that's your test. And they're really loosely alluding to Paul's thorn. So, so this whole idea of people having a test and uh, especially uh, just about every larger than life minister that I've known mm. uh, up close and personal has had something yeah. that kept them from just running with the horses, you know? So understanding that people uh, often have a test or a thorn or a reason to keep returning to God, because the, 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 the idea is not to just explain away the thing, but to say that this thing drives you back to God yeah. um, repeatedly and consistently and on a daily basis, because without it, you might just think you had natural ability or blah, 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 you know. So, so dealing with this passage, uh, it's, it feels like I've dealt with this passage all my ministry because people, uh, in the tradition that I come from, you know, the, the, the faith tradition and, 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 and the, the, the body of the, that little branch of the body of Christ where I come from, they often retreat to this passage to explain or to help people uh, live with things that are, are difficult. Yeah. I don't know if that's true for other, other groups of people or not. This is, this is a nice conversation to have for me. <laughs> oh, well, I mean, this is, I mean, I grew up hearing about this one all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, similar, th- the phrase thorn in the flesh would get used a lot. Right, and, right. and it was a discernment question, you know, I mean, a, a parallel, I would also sometimes hear the phrase, whether a discernment question, you know, is that my cross to bear? You know, sometimes you is say, that that's my cross, cross to bear. bear. Yes. Or sometimes someone would say, a wise person say, that's not your cross to bear. No. You know, like yeah, you pick up your cross, not every, yes. not somebody else's cross. Your cross is fit for your back. Yes. <laughs> oh, okay. Great phrase. I don't think I heard that one. That's good. But I'd also hear the thorn one. And, and it was often this one, the cross one was language that was more general for a Christian life. Mm-hmm. This one tended to be associated more with those who have a particular gifting or calling of ministry. I believe all Christians do, but mm-hmm. some, some have more prominent roles. And so I think right. the language, and so since I grew up second generation minister's home, I grew up around ministry preparers, people who taught other ministers. Mm-hmm. And so in like ministry circles, this is a very common passage to come mm-hmm. up mm-hmm. for the very reason that you suggested, because I think, I mean, it's it'd be interesting to explore, but of course, you know, Paul's reporting his own experience. Yeah. And so, so there's his intention in the passage in terms of the particular battle over his authority that he's ensconced in. Mm-hmm. And then there's what, what was the spirit's 
intention in having this make its way into our canon? You know, in what way is this for us? You know, Yeah. yeah, because of course it could be really dangerous. The thorn in the flesh language could imply, like you say, you, you the danger of explaining explaining away suffering is explaining there. It away, yeah. I think the proper use of the text would not be that, especially because he asks three times. You know he that that notion times. he asks God to remove it, yeah. but the idea that so I mean I know growing up hearing about suffering, I would sometimes hear the language, especially from James, but, mm-hmm. but Paul uses it too, mm-hmm. that, that, that it improves character. It's for your formation. Right, right. This isn't that. Sometimes, <laughs> sometimes suffering can be associated with like punishment. That's right. problematic, but sometimes true. Okay. Suffering is just sometimes straight evil. It's the work of Satan and we want to fight it. And that's right. also true. Right. Jesus healing right. ministry is built on that assumption. But then this one's this kind of unique outlier in the usual ways of talking about suffering. This is God sent me a thorn. You know, it says that, right? It's very stark. It's God. I want to check the language and make sure I say it right. A messenger of Satan. Yeah, but it's so weird because it, it it says both. I, I only had my Greek out, but my Greek. Yeah, not yeah get good. your get your Greek out because I'm I'm, I'm sit, sitting here with the NIV and I don't have my other translations with me. But to keep me from becoming conceited because yes. of these surpassingly great revelations, there was given me a thorn <laughs> in my flesh, a messenger right. of Satan to yep. torment me. <laughs> yeah, and it seems to me to be. I mean, that's a divine passive, right? God is is permitting this because almost the, like the purpose. Yeah, the purpose. Oh, you're right. The Job connection is very clear. Yeah, yeah almost like yeah. Job. And and there's I'm trying to remember where they are, but there there are some. He doesn't quote from Job a lot, but he there are no. some allusions to Job language. Mm-hmm. I've done a little mm-hmm. bit of work in the Septuagint of Job, and you can find some. You, there, you can tell Paul had a deep connection with Job as a text right. and he shows Probably up. Probably because of this thorn. <laughs> perhaps, perhaps, yes. Right, yeah. And even, because even there you have the two-staged pattern, they take away all his stuff and then he says, yes, but you haven't touched his flesh, mm-hmm. right? So the thorn in the flesh is that second stage. Yes, exactly, um, exactly, exactly. It's just stuff, but if you touch Job, he'll curse you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and and this idea that I like that Job connection, that that, that divine passive that it was given to me messenger from satan so you have in like job where satan is given mm-hmm. a the leash authority. yeah mm-hmm. it's under god's but the purpose is not satan's purpose the purpose is god's it's the purpose keep is god's purpose but he just allows being satan to do it so you could so his purpose could be you know manifest this is curious because yeah uh the the the, the role of god in this thing is so veiled yes but but in the Jewish economy of things, if it, and correct me, you know, because you're the Bible scholar more than I am, nah. everything comes from God. As far yes. as the Jew is concerned, everything yes. comes from God. They really don't give Satan a lot of credit. Christians give Satan credit for everything, you know, yeah. anything that goes wrong, you know, the devil did it. But everything comes from God, both good and bad. It's for my making. It's for my good. And it's it's because God is watching over me and this is good for me. And so am I am I misquoting Jewish? No, I think that's spot on. I think, I mean, okay. it'd be worth saying that there were increasing you mentioned that christians have a tendency to overplay the satan and that's not completely accidental it can be somewhat a function of the new testament arising Uh as jewish literature within the second temple period Mm -hmm. 
during which a more dualistic worldview was on the rise in right, Judaism, right, right. And, competing and, and, with, it was never the dominant, but it mm-hmm, was very mm-hmm. strong. And that element is very strong in more sectarian groups as Christianity was in its early right, stages. Right, right. The, the, the ceremonial so have washings both. were because yes. of demons and, you know, yes. yeah. So, yes. but, but in old Jewish thought. Correct. Yeah. And they returned to that very much. God. Yeah. Everything they comes from God. They returned to that very much. Yeah. So, so the assumption could be that you know how these things go. Yeah. Everything comes from God. But it yeah. was a messenger of Satan. And the dualism, even there, the dualism was never permanent. The whole belief in resurrection and final judgment is built mm-hmm. on a final defeat of duality. So the duality mm-hmm. is always temporary. Right. Classic Jew, the dualism of classic Jewish apocalyptic is never a permanent Manichaean struggle between good and evil. It's a temporary struggle of good and evil until God sends his Messiah and sorts everything out. And subdues it all. Which means since God picks the time, that means God is allowing all of this until then. So it's still under God's authority. You're absolutely right. And the word Satan's helpful here. He doesn't use the word devil beelzebub there are other terms no, no. and the satan is a hebrew term ha satan the I was satan. Say, ha satan and it's the, the, satan, yeah. the accuser or the yeah. slanderer and yeah. his main principle is to is to undermine his main to purpose undermine, is to undermine yeah. the confidence of the of the faithful right and to undermine the work of god yeah yeah yes yeah. to make us uh and, and, you know, I mean, you even see it there in Job. He's playing that, that uh, accuser status. He's saying, see, look, this guy, hmm. um, well, actually God brings it up. Look at my servant Job, right, <laughs> you know, right, right. and you could almost picture it. And Paul's implying there's a little bit of a up in heaven, you know, God's like, look, look, uh, look, Satan, look, the, the Satan, look, look, accuser mm-hmm. at my servant, Paul. You know, yeah. he used to be a persecutor of the church and now he's yeah. spreading the gospel to the Model Gentiles. Christian now. Yeah. Yeah. And the Satan's kind of like, oh, that's just because you've given him all this, these powers, signs and wonders and that kind of thing. Right. Cause there are right. some signs and wonders in his life, but they don't seem to be the dominant thing he's remembered for. No, no, uh, no. He's, and he's one wonders if they actually who, faded. Yeah. 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 He's mo- known among those who operate in signs and wonders, but his words uh, were more permanent than just the, you know, the miracles or, or what we don't know for sure. Cause Acts doesn't explore this, but it's possible that the signs and wonders were a phase, a period. And he came to be in his weakness, perhaps less dramatic. I don't know. We don't know. I mean, you, we would just no, have to and guess. I'm, but. I'm, I'm a little, I'm a little concerned about chasing that one yeah. because it, it seems to uh, lend itself to the theological persuasion that they were just dispensational. You know, just a, the, true. Oh, yeah. yeah I wouldn't yeah, want to say that. I don't want to go down that rabbit hole. But, but it's it's quite possible that his greatest contribution to the faith was through the planting of churches and yes. the establishment of them, and the apostolic work of giving them guidance and 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 so forth, which we know him for. We don't know what else went on. Right. But it does raise the question, and and you, it's no secret that I was Pentecostal before I was Methodist. It does raise the question about those who wonder who who do uh, still minister in signs and wonders. People mm-hmm. who who pray for folks and they get healed. People who seem to know things that only God could have told them. You know that kind of thing. They 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 often wonder why does this not work for me in my life when I need it. Yeah. And this passage is another place where people often go to um, 
help folks make peace with the fact mm-hmm. that God does not do this for your convenience. Hmm. Uh, that, that God's work <laughs> is God's work. Uh, yeah, yeah. God, God I love God that phrase. Not, yeah, not for your convenience. This is for the glory of God and, and God alone. So uh, my grace is sufficient for you. Yeah, that's enough. So I don't have to perform a miracle for you, even if I'm performing miracles through you for others. That's right. That's right. That's right. So often when when people who have been gifted in the charisms of the spirit mm-hmm. uh, in, in the modern era, you know, in, in the postmodern era even are sick, I mean, yeah. bravely sick or annoyingly sick, as in a thorn in the, in the, in the, in the, in the flesh, they often wonder. God, I've prayed for this person that got well. I prayed for that person that got well. Why am I sick now? Yeah. Would I not be more useful to you up and about and doing what, what, what we've done before? And mm. that thorn in the flesh uh, passage comes back in counseling, uh, in peer-to-peer counseling oftentimes. So this, thing, this, this, this passage comes up a lot, even though we don't understand it. Yeah, strange enough. Yeah. You know, third heaven, <laughs> indescribable things to that I can't speak. You know, we don't understand this passage and yet we keep talking about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, maybe. Maybe there's a maybe those are connected, right? It's the, <laughs> yeah, the mysterious so. ones that become the center. Well, let's take a quick break and dig in a little deeper on that. All right then. And we're back. Welcome back to Fresh Text. I'm here with Sophia Fasua. We're looking at 2 Corinthians 12, verses uh, 2 through 10. And I've been occasionally starting one little adjustment in the, the rhythm uh, to, to reread the passage at the beginning of each segment to kind of get it back in our ears. Okay. Uh, some, some audience members were saying like, hey, by the second segment, sometimes I've kind of forgotten what the, were we the text, talking about? Right? Yeah. yeah, right. So I'll go, I'll go ahead and read it this time. Do that. Yes, yes. So this is 12, 2 through 10. So Paul says, I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know that this man was caught up into paradise. Whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. <laughs> and he heard things that cannot be told which man may not utter on behalf of this man, I will boast, but on my own behalf, I will not boast except of my weakness. Though if I should wish to boast, I would not be a fool for I would be speaking the truth, but I refrain from it so that no one may think more of me than he sees in me or hears from me. So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness Of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of the Satan to harass me, to keep me from being conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power excuse me, for power mm-hmm. is perfected in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of the Messiah may rest upon me. For the sake of the Messiah, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. 
For when I am weak, I am strong. So we've talked about the Satan. We've talked about the thorn. We haven't yet fully explored the third heaven, the paradise. Yeah, I was just thinking that because we get this big glimpse into the theology of the day, the theology that was probably part of the of the backdrop for early Christians, uh, that yeah. they did believe in an afterlife, mm-hmm. and that they believed in a place, mm-hmm. um, and and then not just heaven, but the third heaven. Yeah, levels of heaven. Mm-hmm. Levels of heaven, and 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 you know the the, the theologies that developed in that period did try to very clearly define and often uh, ad nauseum. Yeah, <laughs> you quite know, elaborate at times. Yeah, particularities about things which no one could verify. Mm-hmm. Except and the beautiful thing is, he, you know, Paul's using this language. It's, it's his language. It's familiar language. He grew mm-hmm. up in the, in the synagogue, though in a diaspora synagogue, so not in the throes mm-hmm. of, of Palestinian apocalyptic like Jesus mm-hmm. grew up in. But he knows that world. He was trained in Palestine, so he knows that that stuff too. And it's like, I I don't mean to imply that he's just kind of using this language and it's not native to him. It is native to him, but his, his lack of strong conviction about the, the scaffolding of heaven is actually really helpful Mm -hmm. because he's Mm -hmm. just kind of, you know, the third heaven and then he calls it paradise. And so there's an imprecision, even in the naming Mm-hmm. Uh, paradise is third heaven. Are those the same? There were surely a speculative rabbi would read this and say, right. well, no, the paradise is the fourth heaven or paradise yeah, is just below <laughs> the heavens. Right. I mean, the, and he's not yeah, getting into yeah, that. Yeah. He's using the language, using it loosely. And then twice says whether in the body or out of the body, I don't know. God knows. Right. And right. this kind of, it's almost ad nauseum repeating that phrase twice. Um, you can tell he's, dictating this to someone who's writing, you know, because he probably wouldn't write that whole phrase twice, but you totally would say it. Well, it's very totally verbal. Say it. It's a natural totally way of it. verbalizing. Yeah. Right. Right. He would totally say it. And it's then the, so other, the other piece of that is this in the body or out of the body. I don't know. It helps us now read revelation. Hmm. The revelation of John, because we that. all, we, we, oh, we, yes, yes. We wonder where was John when he's he taking saw a tour of heaven, but it seems to be now, but it also seems to be the future. And the answer is yes. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. The answer right. is yes. And whether it was in the body or out of the body, we don't know, you know, but then parallel to that, the thing that is clear is he specifies he was in the spirit on the Lord's day. So it was an actual time and place for him. Yeah. He had an, a dateable experience and the same here. 14 years ago, which I think is our clue that he is talking about himself, even though he's pretending to not avoid boasting like a preacher who says, you know, a great man once said, and then you, you have a quote and it's really just the quote you came up with, you know, that preacher trick. Right, right, right. (laughs) And, and then um, I'm I'm going back to my time as a missionary in in Ghana, actually not a missionary, just a a resident worker there with the church where uh, a certain man, you know, a lot of stories began a certain man Ah. and the speaker is often trying not to reveal that he was talking about himself, a certain man or a certain woman. Oh, that's so helpful to add. Yeah. Because the humility piece and the Christians there are very careful about not boasting except in the Lord. I mean, almost excessively careful. 
about <laughs> I make no boast except in the Lord. And so if they're going to talk about something great that happened, it's going to be a certain man or a certain woman, and they distance oh. themselves from the conversation. So this felt so familiar when I read familiar. it today, you know. But everyone would know that they're Everybody talking about themselves, yeah. but you wouldn't say that. And you actually would respect that they had the honor and the... They weren't so shameless as to to tell it about And you themselves. won't ask by putting them and you won't put them on the spot by asking. You won't yes. you won't make them break that 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 humility by asking, was that you? No, you you just shh, keep it we'll speak of this no more. You know, so you just there, there's just this etiquette that goes on about etiquette and honor. About, That's yeah, really good. Yeah. Yeah. I remember so this don't fit the times. You know? Yeah, that kind of indirection. I mean, I was just I was just in a text exchange with two friends yesterday and it was clear that, and it was one of these things. I mean, it's, it's different obviously in modern Western white culture Uh that I inhabit, but you, it's also still very human to speak indirectly, you know, Mm -hmm. Uh, like you had two people going back and forth, both trying to like, you know, the one was trying to say, no, please let me pay for it. And the other saying, Uh no, you don't have to. But it told him how much it would be, but don't worry about it. And we're, everyone's trying to figure out, are you, do you actually want me to do it? Or are you, (laughs) and, and so it is something, it is something uh, human, but when there's, you know, in, in ancient cultures that 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 Paul was working in and in many cultures still around the world, there's more, there's more, uh, yeah, yeah, there's more, uh, there's some scripts almost, you know, that that's, that's just how you would do it. It's just known yeah. what the etiquette would be. Yeah. There's a trope that goes on. This is the way we talk about such things, because if you talk about them directly, then you are being conceited. Yeah. High context society. I've heard that term mm-hmm. where it's, there's a lot of context that's already assumed so that you can kind of make use of the right the standard right. patterns of speech a certain man oh that's interesting yeah i i that's so good. many stories you know around the coffee table after we had uh broken the ice with the people that we worked with uh and and they were confident to talk and and to know that we weren't just there to misuse them or to uh, exploit them or or whatever the people from coming from the west had done you know in spite of the fact that i have african blood it didn't matter you came mm-hmm. from there you know yeah and then after a couple of years when we got to where we could just be people together conversation a certain man Uh, (laughs) and then you lean forward because you know you're about to hear something really exciting (laughs) that's great a certain man 14 years ago and i mean the the 14 years given the little the 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 amount of biography we can piece together Mm -hmm. the 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 math i mean he gets to corinth probably around 50 so this would be a little after that Mm -hmm. and so 14 years would date almost perfectly to, if I'm reading this correctly, that would map out really well to his, you know, I mean, the chronology in Luke is maybe mm, Luke yeah, Acts yeah, isn't precise, yeah. but it maps on pretty good to what's narrated in Acts as this Damascus experience. experience. Yeah. Now, whether he's referring to that or not is not, or that's the debated. In the desert. Yeah, is is he is this a second experience? Mm-hmm. Because of course Luke Acts is written later, and so we can't read that back into it. I mean, if, no, because no. if you if you just assume Luke Acts is like there, and it's even, but of course the narrative he tells it three different times, and it it's it the details are different each time, almost right. on purpose, mm-hmm. as to create a similar dynamic here, 
we don't really know exactly what happened. Um, but like you said, yeah, he also talks about in Galatians, uh, he speaks about three years in the desert. So this could be a, the early church, uh, the desert fathers and mothers mm-hmm. interpreted this as a second experience that took place in the desert, a mystical right, experience right. that as was higher and greater. Established in the faith, yes. Yeah. And I'm open to either one. I, the beauty is the passage actually invites us, almost puts a like an angel with a flaming sword saying, it's none of your business to go figure that out. Of course, my curiosity, I, I'm like, Ooh, I want to know, like, tell me more. <laughs> but the whole point of sharing it is to, is to, there, there's as much concealing as there is revealing here going on Right. right. to say, don't focus on that. I'd rather you notice my, my thorn. And from there, I'd rather you focus on the grace of God that's sufficient for us all. That's what I want you to put your attention on, not on, you know, my authority and power and experiences. And there's another thing we we probably have not explored that might be germane to interpretate interpretations of this passage for our times. Traditional folk theology during those times said, if something was wrong with you, you must have done something wrong. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, no, not mine, not mine. Mine was given to me to avoid conceit. Ah, ah, yeah. We, we, you know, when I hear this passage preached, I never hear that brought into the into the equation that people look at folks who have something going wrong with them and they ask, what did they do wrong to receive wrong? Yeah. And even to this day, and that has crept into Christian theology or oh, folk heavens. theology, like mm-hmm. I like to call it, into Christian folk theology, that if a person is down on... Um, we, we use the term down on their luck. I don't believe in luck, but having mm. hardship, then they must not have lived properly. Yeah. Yeah. We do it with economics. We even do it with health and healing where even if we wouldn't say outright, some do, but mm-hmm. even if you wouldn't say outright, I have this sin, this sickness because of something I sinned. If we ask for healing and don't receive it, we think, oh, I didn't have enough faith. So there's still that blaming and shame. Or I didn't confess. Yeah. 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 Yes. Some unconfessed sin that's causing right, it. Yeah. Right, right. And Paul doesn't right. assault that view head on, but he does no. undermine it a little by reminding us that actually God is the Lord of all things. The and Lord even, of all things. even even Satan himself is under uh the authority of God. And you know, this thorn, though I though I asked for it to be removed, it right, wasn't that right. I just, it's not just a grin and bear it. That's what I love about this passage. No. It doesn't say if something bad happens to you, just, you know, stiff upper lip because it'll make you a better person. It's like, no, no. he begs for it to be taken he like did. Jesus in the garden three times, you know, but once it was clear and he received a revelation to stop asking, yeah, then he was able to become content with the grace of God, content in suffering, right. content with this thorn um, and everything else that comes with it. Because, of course, one of the assaults on his authority, we know from the rest of the Corinthian correspondence, one of the assaults on his authority from preachers who came after him mm-hmm. was, oh, he was this weekly guy who's not a particularly impressive orator. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And he was sick. We know there's little hints in Acts and, th- and definitely all throughout his letters that he definitely had some significant physical ailments that took place during the – I know they head north in uh, when they first get to Turkey and they head north to the hills because he had some kind of sickness mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. was getting exacerbated down by the water and needed to right, go up right, to right. – yeah. so there's this recurring 
theme of his his physical weakness. He he was an apparently an unimpressive person in his physical stature. Well, some people said just ugly. (laughs) Yeah, straight up, right? Yeah, not an attractive person. So, so so you have tall, yeah, you have tall, uh, perhaps handsome, well-trained Apollos coming into town after him, using all this great preaching and like just a dynamic speaker and then other speakers coming in and all of a sudden they're like, man, the guy who started this church and was with us for 18 months. Yeah. Um, he, thanks. But man, he was kind of lame. Now we've got like real, we've got real preachers now, baby. You know, yeah. so I am of Apollos. <laughs> yes. Yes. So, so, you yeah. know, you see the factions that were, we're starting to, to separate there, but I, so he I wants really- to say, ah, man, I've, I've been to the third heaven. Apollos just went to school, man, but he doesn't <laughs> want to say that. So he says, I know a man. <laughs> Right. So, so I really think it bears mention that he is also uh, affirming to his people that he wasn't a a habitual sinner, you know, although he, he struggles with things and he's, he's told us that, but that this was given to me because I needed it and God will not let it go, you know, to keep me from becoming too conceited because I've seen some things now, you know, so who did send mm-hmm. this the man or his uh, the, the, the man or his uh, parents and that he was born blind you know this exactly. whole John's issue is in the air at that time that a person who has a problem is one who has done something wrong and, and so although he's talking person. about himself you're right he is also modeling for them how to see their own thorns right exactly. to recognize of course it would be appropriate to ask god to remove suffering and when he does praise be to god that that healing is for the advancement of the kingdom but, uh, but it's not God just a miracle not. of convenience. Yeah. But, but if, if God, God does, does not, not, yeah, it, that doesn't necessarily mean you screwed up. Cause of course it might be the, the weaker members who felt uh, those who were feeling who were experiencing either were quote down on their luck economically and yeah, or yeah. physically ailed. They might've been more attached to Paul cause they felt some resonance with him. And so he's modeling for them mm-hmm. to recognize you're not lesser members of this community just because you might have, what's his list? Uh, weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions, calamities. When hardships. you know he's mod- although he's talking about himself, he's clearly mm-hmm. meaning to model for them something to think through for themselves. They might not have the same experience. They might not have been caught up in high as a heaven, and their thorn might not dig as deep into their flesh. But nevertheless, you know their weakness should not be seen as a sign of their sinfulness or their lesserness in the kingdom. Yeah. I imagine exactly. he's doing that. Would, would does that seem right to you? I, I think so. And I, I was just sitting here and listening to you and, and hearing it through the lens of the economic collapse that was in uh, the earlier part of this, of this century. Mm-hmm. And now the, the, the we're, we're, we're teetering on the edge of collapse for a while. I, mm-hmm. I, I sense because of the global pandemic it yeah. seems as though now theologies will be rewritten. Yeah. Theologies, and, I, and when I speak of theology, I'm speaking of our human attempts to interpret what we have seen and experienced of God. Yeah. What, we, what we read, what we've experienced, what, what our history, our faith history has been as humankind. All of that's going to be rewritten, I, I suspect, because a lot of people who have been flying high are now laid low. 
because they can't open their businesses or whatever mm-hmm. the issues might be. And they have kicked and squirmed. And every time they try to reopen, then the, the virus comes back, you know, mm-hmm. and, and, you know, some people inevitably were, were going to just lose it all because uh, it was just too dangerous out there. It was just and the pandemic helps us anyway, you know? Yeah. yeah and, and we imagine when we're flying high, well, it's because I worked really hard because I do work hard because I worked to, hard. to assume I'm that my hard person. work. Yeah. I worked hard. I support my church. I do, you know, whatever. And, and that whole not, list could be true without being the cause of all that was good. Exactly. Right? <laughs> exactly. And those so now, could still be true of you, but now, and the pandemic, one of its, one of the, the gifts, I don't, going to talk about the pandemic as a gift, but I will ask to discern what are the gifts and the tasks that come with every event. What did we gifts, learn? Yeah. One of the gifts hidden in this event is, you know, not all downtroddenness, not all suffering, exactly. not all economic failure is uh, attributable to individual choices and responsibilities and such. None. Um, sometimes None. things just happen sometimes uh, to you happen. Yes. out of your control. Just and that's where power is perfected, is precisely in weakness. In power give to, given to power is pointless. Uh, it's power in weakness is where power finds its home, you know, where it comes to fruition. So I know I'm leaping ahead into the third segment. Oh, please this, do. This passage is for this time. Yeah. This passage is for this time. There are lots of people in food lines who did nothing wrong. Yeah. And they can't be, be reconciled with, be, they're playing it over in their heads again and again and again. What, what could did I, I do different? wrong? Yeah. Did I miss the signals? Did I miss the signs? Did I not prepare? You can't prepare for what we just had. Yeah. It happened. Yeah. I think that's a perfect transition. Uh, so let's take a break and come back and explore some sermon starters. All right. And we're back. Welcome back to Fresh Text. I'm here with Sophia Fasua, and we're looking at 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 12, uh, verses 2 through 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 2 through 10. Let's read it one more time. How about, uh, I don't know, what, 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 what version should we use? Should we look at... Well, I pulled out my new revised standard while do we that, were on do break. that. <laughs> this is my trusty Bible because it's it was for a while the official I Bible like, from my, my denomination, but I like mixing I it up with word. translations. Yeah. Yeah I, yeah. I saw a word in here that I thought was 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 helpful. So Go starting again at verse verse two, this is uh Second Corinthians twelve, verse two. I know a person in Christ who fourteen years ago was caught up to the third heaven, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know, God knows. And I know that such a person, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know, God knows, was caught up into paradise and heard things that are not to be told that no mortal is permitted to repeat. On behalf of such a one, I will boast, but on my own behalf, I will not boast except of my weaknesses. But if I wish to boast, I will not be a fool for I will be speaking the truth, but I refrain from it so that no one may think better of me than what is seen in me or heard from me, even considering the exceptional character of the revelations. Therefore, 
to keep me from being too elated. A thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me, to keep me from being too elated. Three times I appealed to the Lord about this, that it would leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is made perfect in weakness. So I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities for the sake of Christ. For whenever I am weak, then I am strong. Wow, that's great. Elated, I'm guessing, was the one you wanted us to notice. That's very nice. Elated, elated. And that's another one that's repeated. The whole phrase is repeated twice, right? So that I might not be Elated. elated. I think NIV... And ESV, which were the earlier ones, although ESV with a little JDV mixed in there, uh, John Drury version for the second, they both used conceited. Conceited. Um, but I like elated's helpful, especially because it, it captures a little bit of the imagery of the term. It's, it's you know, Hooper, Hooper I Romai. So it doesn't appear a lot, but it is the Hooper in there is it's the root word hyper, right? So it's lifting up, lifting up, right? And the Iro is to carry. Uh, It's the word that you'd use for carrying fruit uh, Mm -hmm. or carrying a a body or carrying a a cart uh, or a box. uh, Or carried away. It's the word for bear, bear one's cross too. So it also is linked to the word you're bearing. So Hooper Iro has this kind of sense of puffed up, you're, you know, you're, you're kind carried of lifting away. yourself <laughs> up higher. You're carried yeah. away with yourself. Right. Elated. I like elated. That's nice. I like elated too. When I looked at that, that word just kind of jumped out at me. Wow. Especially because it, when he, he's describing what would be you, the, the classical Greek term for this, that's made its way into English is ecstasy. Mm-hmm. He's experienced an ecstasy, which is why, yes. which we think of being outside of oneself. So yeah. whether I was in the body or out of the body is that's ecstasy language. Right. And, Elated links nicely with that because the whole point is when God, this is why I, one reason for me to slightly prefer linking this to his calling story, mm-hmm. though narrated very differently in Luke Acts, it is helpful, but even if it happened later, but this, the point would stand is the ecstasy that Paul experienced was about his apostolic ministry. Mm-hmm. It was never just for him to be elated about it exactly. wasn't for his own or excited yeah. pleasure. Yes. Mm-hmm. That is a nice, that is a nice word choice. Yeah. So let's explore some sermon starters. Uh, where would you want to go with this? You've already hinted a little of the I, I context that, into which, but, but how would we approach yeah, the that? The context of a pandemic offers uh, a, a good reason to preach from this text and not to, to skip over it and run to the gospel, you know, mm-hmm. during this time of, 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 of the season. Because um, Paul has done nothing wrong, and yet he has a thorn, and God will not take it. We are, are, are a whole world full of people who have done nothing wrong, and something tinier than the eye can see has come and robbed us of family members, of friends, of life, of vitality, 
uh, of income, of all the savings that you worked so hard for, for your retirement or whatever it was, it was not your fault. And God's grace has to be sufficient for us right now. Mm-hmm. Can yeah. we can we say that we will find our sufficiency in God when we have nothing, when we we have eviction papers sitting on the table, when we are sitting in the food line, when we lost the car? Can we still say that it is well with my soul? Mm. This is really a where the rubber meets the road faith time for all of us. Can we be content without the trappings? Are we able to find uh, that God is sufficient for us? As long as we have life and breath, is God sufficient? Can we say that? Are we there yet? That's a hard faith question to answer. And many of us are being put to that test right now. For you, is God sufficient? Even if you've got a temporary job and don't know if it's going to last more than the six weeks that you've contracted with them, can you say God is enough? Hmm. We've, we've, we've been used to saying that God is enough as long as the coffers were full, the, the yeah. rent was paid, the bank was okay, the, you know, but can we now say God is enough even if we don't have enough because he's had hardships, persecutions, you know, all of these, th- he, get, he goes down his list of the things that he suffered and God's grace is sufficient. This is a passage for now. Yeah. Can yeah, we come to a place in faith where God is enough? Yeah, that's hard. I love the way you're framing that. There's like one last exegetical observation I'd like to slip in under Good. the wire here that might help with how we begin to answer that question in the positive. And that's just this this fact that that when... Paul uses the word, the Lord. Mm-hmm. He almost always, I, I haven't found an exception yet. I want to leave it open that I have, I've missed one. He means the Messiah, Jesus, that he's yeah. very, it's a, it's a technical term for him. Mm-hmm. And I mentioned that because if you have like a red letter Bible, this phrase uh, in verse nine should be in red letters. It should be in red, yes. This is, this is explicitly he asks the Lord. And when he says that, we, we use that language rightly so because of, of the Old Testament language and the Psalms and everything, but to mean Jesus. Jesus and is enough. He says God the Father and Lord Jesus Christ. That's his pattern. And so, mm-hmm. and it is God is enough, but it's who's telling us this. Is it is it is it a fellow sufferer? Is it just is it an, is it one of our oppressors? Is it just some preacher? No, it's Jesus himself who suffered all these things. And I don't, and I, even though the gospels were written down later, the Gethsemane story was surely a widely told story. And Mm -hmm. the three Mm -hmm. times is a Mm -hmm. consistent theme. I think the burden of proof is on an interpreter who wants to say he's not referencing Gethsemane here. He is referencing Gethsemane. Yes. Mm -hmm. So he, even three times is a reference to, he is asking the Lord Jesus Messiah Take who himself away. asked three times for the cup to, to be, be taken, taken away. Yeah. He has asked for a thorn to be taken. And just as the father spoke 
silently into Christ's heart and aloud in the book of John where he says, I have glorified it and I will glorify it again. Right, right. Uh, in the same way, Jesus then in turn spoke directly to Paul. And I feel like I usually don't really like the red letter Bible thing. There's, I have some problems with that mm-hmm. as a, for lots of reasons. This is like one of my places where I'm like, I kind of like it here because that's where all the energy in this passage is, is this right. quote. Because this is meant to be for everyone, even though he says it as a personal revelation to him. I, I think he wants all of us to hear when you suffer and you ask and you haven't been Yes. alleviated. Yes. It's not necessarily your fault. <laughs> Probably isn't. If it has a purpose, it's to keep us on our knees before God. Exactly. And Jesus is saying to you from his throne in heaven as one who suffered it all himself, my grace is sufficient for you. Yes. Right. That's what Jesus is. And this is meant to be a, a words of Jesus spoken after his ascension, Jesus yes. is still yes. speaking. Hence your connection to the book of Revelation, which also has some red letters in it. Right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, he, Jesus is still revealing himself. This is why I'm not a cessationist and don't believe that because <laughs> that is a great miracle that he could. And that we, t- we have to have prophets who can listen for Jesus, yeah. who's still speaking. And I'm, I'm so, glad you brought that up because um Often, uh, and, and, and allow me just a moment of biography here, often the black church is criticized for its high Christology. Yeah. But. Um, I think it's spot on here. It's Pauline. It's spot on here. <laughs> and when hardships, persecutions, lynchings, burnings, you know, all of the destructions that went on both during slavery and after slavery came up, the response of the church to the person being persecuted is God's grace or the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ is sufficient for you. In fact, there are lots of songs in the black church, Mm -hmm. in the old black church canon. You know, our church canon has been, uh, our our song canon has been uh, altered greatly by contemporary worship as well. But in the old black church canon, these songs about grace being sufficient for you are reckoned right back to this passage, in fact. Mm-hmm. And so the, the response of the church has always been, Jesus will keep me. They don't say God will keep me. I learned yeah. to say that in seminary. Yep. <laughs> you know? yep. They say, Jesus will keep me. Jesus will help you. I must tell Jesus all of my sorrows. I cannot bear these burdens alone. Jesus will help you. Jesus will aid you. Jesus will fix it. Jesus alone. I must tell Jesus. You know, so this high mm-hmm. Christology uh, is seen in this passage, you know, for, for my faith tradition as well, uh, because um, we we are more likely to call on the name of Jesus than to call God the Father hmm. in in prayer and in 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 church services. You hear that a lot more, and I think it helps so much because I mean, in this passage, the phrase "My grace is sufficient for you," mm-hmm. which I believe because I believe in the union of Father and Son. I'm not denying right. the Trinity, but for us in our experience, that can sound. In the on the lips of a generic God, mm-hmm. I'll put it that way instead okay. of the Father. Mm-hmm. On the lips of a generic God sounds paternalistic. Yeah. It sounds like the plantation owner saying, But mm-hmm. you have enough. Haven't I taken care of you? Right. Before Give me a, a break, you're oppressing me. me. Yeah. But for a fellow sufferer who's yes. been through it, but who's triumphed over it. Right. So he's not just saying suffer forever. No. So it's a fellow sufferer who has been exalted for him to say it. 
is a total game changer. And so I would think that actually the way that you framed it at the beginning of our, of this third segment, I think speaking in generic God talk would actually be a good homiletical move to start there mm-hmm. in order to then do the reveal, uh-huh. right? This is not yeah. just a platitude about no. a generic God no. because it's precisely a theology of a generic God who rewards good people and punishes bad people that would lead you to think that this thorn means it's my, it's my fault. And I'm, exactly, exactly. I must be bad. Yeah. Yes, yes. It's, it's the specific singular revelation of God in the crucified Jesus mm-hmm. who is speaking these words. Right. And so it has a different flavor and it, and it rings true because he knows what it's like to have grace, to cling to grace alone when everything else is stripped away. Everything He's else felt is that. Yeah. He knows what that's like. And so it's not a platitude. No. And so the suffering savior uh, motif was strong in uh, early black theology, especially. Uh, mm-hmm. li- you know, we, we're often labeled liberation the- theologians, but the suffering servant uh, mm-hmm. was the person of God that got uh, my community through because we entered into the fellowship of his sufferings and suffered alongside him and suffered knowing that suffering, some good can come out of it sometime. You know, at some point in life, we got to see that this has not been for nothing. So yeah. this, the suffering part was was always a very strong part of the theology that I grew up with. As I said, contemporary theology, contemporary music, contemporary hymnody has changed the theology of the church all over, and it mm-hmm. is and I and, and and our community has not been immune to that. But when you go back into the the, the hymnody and look for the theology of the church in in other places, you find that the suffering part, because of the suffering of this people, these people, my yes. people. Uh, we we were able to not just make sense of the suffering, but to be able to find in in Christ that power is made perfect in weakness. Through the sufferings, we become more powerful. We become stronger, folks. We become stronger as a as, as a group of people. You know. So this is this is all in the mix for me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, that's so good. I mean, this is just a small little piece. I, I, I love, well, let me say first that, that, you know, that, that a true liberation theology is one that passes through and returns again and again to the cross, right? Mm-hmm. The, the liberation, I mean, yeah, the exodus, the exodus, the exodus mm-hmm. occurs on Passover, right? Like right, the, right, the suffering right. and the blood mm-hmm. are connected. It's not so, and it's a solidarity and suffering in the wilderness. It's not mm-hmm. just immediate prosperity in the, the promised land. So, no, no. So, just to kind of affirm, I think the, the theological wisdom of, of your articulation of your own tradition and its experience to see Christ in the suffering is to recognize our own election as his own and not being lesser than. A, a pure prosperity gospel implies, well, once we get some. Once things are good for us, right, then right. we'll know that God chose us. No, God's choice no, no. Uh, is already there. And it's relevant. You quoted it correctly. We often add a, a lot of translations add my power mm-hmm. is perfected in weakness. I think that's not only that the word my doesn't appear there, but I think it it's a mistake. Appear. It appear, yeah. This is the Lord Jesus speaking. Yeah. And he's talking about his experience of God's power being perfected in his weakness. Right. He's not talking about his power. No. He's talking about the power of the Holy Spirit that was at work in him as the crucified man. 
that Jesus was and is. So I just, again, re, I want to strongly affirm that Christ-centered and even cross-centered approach to the suffering that we face, not to valorize it. And I love that here because, I mean, I, I could see in a sermon, not a main point, but an aside, like, now don't say, oh, that's just my thorn in the flesh unless you've asked at least three times, right? Like kind of no. almost, uh, right? Yeah. Like it's it's right to ask. It's right to want to be. It is right be, to ask. It's right it's, to want to go on. Yeah. That's, and I want to affirm that and not valorize the suffering as as a positive end in itself. Not no, at no, no, all. No, no, no. But when suffering does not go away, and that might even be the sermon title that I use, when suffering Ooh, like does that. not cease, what mm. do we do? Because many people are questioning their faith right now. I, you know, mm-hmm. the, the whispers that I hear around the edges is that folks are, are questioning, is God good? Mm-hmm. It's easy to say God is good when the coffers are full. Yeah. It's easy to say God is good when we're comfortable. But can we say God is good when it's not good for me? I'm not good right now. Well, it never was about me being good. It was always about God being good. But yeah. what are the evidences that we point to? You see, we're, we're, we're living in, in, in we're at the change of an era, you know, and a lot of the theologians and the historians are saying that the, the modern Christian era is giving way to something else. And we know that emergence is happening and, you know, all this other stuff. But when you're at the changing of an era, it's already difficult. But then when the world shuts down and has a time out and you mm-hmm. are left to ponder your faith, is Christ enough? I, I can go to any of the two-thirds world who has been suffering right, before right. all of this happened, and they will immediately point to many evidences that Christ is enough. But mm. we in the West did not have that luxury. We always pointed to our stuff, yeah, <laughs> our attainments, our, our coffers, our bank books, our, our power. You know, yeah. <laughs> but now we are faced with the question that the rest of the world has been answering for, for years. Can Christ be enough? That's a big faith question because many people are saying, I am beginning to question if God is good. Look at all the people dying. We're having so many theodicy questions right now. Mm-hmm. But yeah, is- the preaching challenge is how to, how to articulate that question and that lament on behalf of the body. Yes. While also facilitating its answer, the yes, how to get, how to get us to yes, without forcing yes. it, without platitudes, right. right? How to get to yes without platitudes. And I think some of it is, is visual to see the suffering Christ saying these words and not yes. just a generic God. That was one I already mentioned. That, that's very good. That's a very good way because it's but also suffering. Yes. Yeah. But then other specific stories, right? maybe some specific things yeah. where we're seeing God still at work in a hidden way, subtle way, but then also inviting a process. And you could even do this in a worship service where you actually make a, a take a process of actually asking, literally even asking three times Yeah, the silence after each, mm-hmm. you know? So like I, I could see, I mean, sometimes when I work on a, especially if I'm stuck on a sermon, like I'm loving the text, but I don't know how to shape mm-hmm. the teaching. Sometimes I'll just start with the end. I will start with the response activity 
and then just think, okay, what do I need to say to get us to set that up? And really, but like the response activity could be, and I could even see a little, you know, you could do it digitally or a little piece. I mean, I'm, I'm old school. I think of a piece of paper handout in a classroom, but where I, you know, like at the top, a screen where, where, where you write down. Yeah. The step one is just, you know, what is, what seems to be a thorn in my flesh right now? Name it specifically mm-hmm. for each individual person, silence for a minute, and then ask the Lord to remove it and maybe offer a, a Psalm phrase, you know, and then silence and then do it again. And maybe a different quote from a different Psalm, you know, God helping, you know, asking for help. And then a third time asking, and then pausing in this, okay, now I have a moment of silence. What do you hear? the Lord Jesus saying to you, you know, yes, yes. and, and if you don't hear anything, just recite these words, my grace is enough for you. That's a revelation for us. We don't have to make up another one, but if, if the Lord Jesus says something to you, that is going to be even more powerful. You'll carry it around just like Paul did, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so to kind of make some space for some asking for help, but also for some discerning the word of Christ for us today. I don't know how that how that strikes there, there, you. There, there are two, there are two uh, things that I wanted to commend about what you just talked. First of all, I saw that as the ending of the sermon time. You know, I saw, exactly. I saw you That's what I mean. Our conclusion. But that's but, what but I mean. Yeah. People, Work from the end backwards, right? Right. You're working from the end backwards. But exactly. some people do not feel that they have permission to ask God to take it away. Yeah. And so even there. in the asking for some will be liberation. You know, I, I didn't know if it was okay to ask God to, 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 to deal with this. Paul asked three times, you know, so, so we're given permission to ask. Yes. Yes. But then the other piece is to, to sit with the answer, whether we liked it or not. Yeah. Yeah. You know, many of us were raised in families, not all. You know, and, and I'm, I'm saying that on, knowing I'm on the radio, on the radio, on the podcast or whatever. Not everyone's raised in a family, but most of us were raised in families. And when we asked those people who parented us for something and they said, no, how did we live with the answer? Sometimes yeah. not so gracefully. Yeah. And other times trusting that our parent knew what was best for us. So living with the answer. So I would almost give the phrase, my grace is sufficient as a breath prayer Mm -hmm. and teach it as a breath prayer for us to sit with the answer, whatever God may say, but to sit with the answer and to, to learn how to live with God's answer. Some people are not living well with with the answer. Some haven't prayed the prayer and some are not living well with the answer. So I would see a twofold thing in, in the, in your conclusion, you gave us a sermon conclusion, you know, to be able to pray that three times because there's liberation and even being able to ask God or to know it's okay to ask God about certain things. But then second part of it is to live with the answer. Yeah. And and is our allegiance to God conditional? I think that would be the, the kingpin of my sermon is my love of God is my devotion to God conditional. Is it conditioned by, is it all right with me? That Oh yeah, sure. I'll love you. Or mm-hmm. can I have an unconditional love? What does it mean to love God unconditionally is the relevant question that would come for the sermon. If you're going to take a Hegelian, form, right. you know, 
Yeah. What's the relevant question? What does it mean to love God unconditionally? And are we being tested on that matter right now? No, oh, that's great. That sounds right. It just, it just dawned on me. I know, I know we're about out of time, but mm-hmm. just one little twist. If we wanted, you could add at the beginning of, of this, of this conclusion, uh, concluding experience. I, I keep trying to find the right term. Like you're saying, it's the sermon of a growing up in revival uh, churches and, and especially mm-hmm. in camp meeting context that I yeah, come yeah, from yeah. service. You had three aspects. You had the song service, mm-hmm. uh, the, the word service and the altar service. That was the name of the third mm-hmm. part. And I mean, it right, was the preacher right. led it, but it was sometimes as long as the sermon, right? Oh, sure. Uh, <laughs> and I always think you got to plan that and then work back. Cause you know, uh, but anyway, um, so for the the altar call, as we call it, but for this response, uh, response to the word, <laughs> as, response to the word, which is itself uh, the part of the sermon, you could also add, depending on the context, how this would fit. You could start with a, which would help with a little positive starting point to kind of, not that we all have a third heaven experience, but to say, no. well, look back to something in your life. Maybe it was 14 years ago, right? Like to be able to say, when was a time when you, when you felt you could actually really feel and sense God's blessing or God's work in your life. Right. I think that'd be a nice, cause that would be a, you could start there and then, okay, now name the thorn. Right. Mm -hmm. And then ask three times. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And then listen for what is the response and sit with the answer and use that that breath prayer. My grace is sufficient for you. You know, his grace is sufficient for me. We had a song with that mm-hmm, line in mm-hmm. it over and over <laughs> growing up. No, I think that's good. Well, thank you so much for giving the time. I know it's we, we went a little long, so thanks for your extra time. Oh, that's Sophia. all right. This this is a very rich uh, discussion, and it's this is a very timely text. Yeah. It didn't come up last year, it came up this year right when we needed it. And, and I have to believe that God's in that as well. Yeah. And actually, so we're working ahead. This is going to drop in the summer and that's almost perfect because During there's the going to be some signs of goodness, but with that will come Hardship. gaps again and gaps too. people mm-hmm. who are doing better and others who aren't and mm-hmm. the returning mindset. Oh, well, the ones who aren't, it's their fault. Right. Uh, so that blame game might be kicking in again next summer exactly. uh, when people hear this. Again, we're working ahead. So it's all the more important when things, if there are signs of economic recovery, recovery is almost never equal. And it's usually, no. it usually exacerbates inequalities. Exactly. Um, so I think it's really timely. So I appreciate your, your time and thoughts with it. So, Yeah. Well, thanks, Sophia. Thanks to all our listeners, as always. Thanks to Todd and Eric for the production work. Can't imagine doing this without them. Thanks to Tom Adamson for donating the theme music. Thanks to our patron saints who support the show. Go to patreon.com slash fresh text if you want to see how you can support the show to support really the back end guys. I have a day job. I don't see a cent of that. It's to help out the guys who've been working for free for years to get this up and running. And uh, most of all, we just say have a good preach and a great week. Bye bye. <laughs> <laughs>